Zipper rolls out to the right, pitches off to Taylor, and Taylor's to the 20. Down to the 15, down to the 10, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Touchdown, Billy Taylor! Touchdown, Billy Taylor! Billy Taylor scored a touchdown from 21 yards out. The crowd goes berserk. It was November 22nd, 1969 that they came to Barry, Michigan, all dressed in maize and blue. The words were said, the prayers were read, and everybody cried. But when they closed the coffin, there was someone else inside. Oh, they came to Barry, Michigan, but Michigan wasn't dead. And when the game was over, it was someone else instead. Eleven Michigan Wolverines put on the gloves of gray, and as the organ played the victors, they laid Woody Hayes away. Under center is Wangler at the 45. He goes back. He's looking for a receiver. He throws downfield to fire. Welcome to the Michigan Man Podcast on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew for Wolverine fans from coast to coast. Go Blue and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Mike Fitzpatrick. I hope you enjoyed the bye week. There were some great games to watch on Saturday, especially the Minnesota-Penn State game and the LSU-Alabama game, which was probably the best matchup I've seen this year. We'll talk about those games and our little backyard brawl this week with the Spartans in the big house in just a moment. Joining us on our game day segment will be Nick Baumgartner from the Athletic Detroit. First, my view from Section 17 to get us started as we do each week. And I'll keep it short because my segment with Nick is about 30 minutes long. I watched the Michigan State-Illinois game until I was convinced it was over in the first half. Then I switched over to uh, Alabama-LSU. Then I started getting instant messages from friends telling me to check out what was happening in East Lansing. And I couldn't believe the Spartans blew that lead. They are no doubt a team that is not very good right now. Does that mean we're going to roll them in the big house on Saturday? Well, I'd like to say yes, but discretion being the better half of valor leads me to say I have my doubts. The Spartans will come to play this Saturday, guaranteed. They always do in this game. On good or bad years, it's always the same. This is their red-letter game, their Super Bowl. Not many people give them a chance in this game. They are 12-point underdogs, and they are wounded. We need to take it to them early, not let them hang around, and keep the pedal to the metal. Now, will we? We're going to find out on Saturday. My guest today says this Spartan team will not lay down on Saturday. They will bring it. But he still doesn't see any way they beat us. Nick Baumgartner from The Athletic Detroit is up next here on The Michigan Man in partnership with our friends at SB Nation's Maize and Brew. So stay tuned.
with us on our game day segment as we uh, just talk some college football and look ahead to uh, the big game Saturday in the big house is Nick Baumgartner from the Athletic Detroit. Once again, great to have you back on the show, Nick. Always good to be here, Mike. Well, it's a, it was a great weekend with the bye for Michigan fans to you know sit around, watch some other college football action, and there were some good games. And let's talk about a few of those first, Nick, before we uh, we talk Michigan football. Up in Minneapolis, P.J. Fleck and the guys uh, against Penn State. I really uh, didn't know how they would come out against Penn State, but yeah, Penn State had three big turnovers. But that was a big win for that program, wasn't it? Oh yeah, big time. I mean, they, you know, like you said, they came out like a house of fire there and jumped on them, and then sort of held on for dear life. Well, which is, if I think back on it before the game, I'm like, yeah, you know, that sounds about right. You know, that's about what I thought might happen, but. You know, they've had a really good season, of course. They haven't played a very tough schedule. This is obviously the first game they've played against anybody, you know, that we would consider, you know, to be top-notch. top, top notch. Uh, They still have games with Wisconsin and Iowa left. But, you know, I, I think that we can probably say those are winnable games now, you know, after, you know, seeing them, you know, go toe-to-toe and beat Penn State and control that game throughout parts of it. Um, you know, not a perfect team, you know, not the most talented team in the Big Ten, but a team that's done its job and done what it's supposed to do. I'll be a little interested to see what the playoff committee does with them. I mean, they, they kind of remind me of uh, that Iowa team from 2015 that went 12-0, and uh, went through the season, didn't have to play anybody in the Big Ten East uh, of note that year, I don't think. I think they missed everybody just about uh, and ended up losing to Michigan State in the championship game. But, you know, still a memorable season for them regardless. And, you know, hey, P.J. Flex had a big contract. I mean, maybe it's working. Roll the boat, right? I guess well, something's going on. So it's working yeah. in some way. Well, and there was another example for Penn State. Whether it's at home or on the road, you can't cough yeah. it up three times. And two of those interceptions were, I think, in the end zone. The third was a pick six. So those those were the deciding factors in that game. Yeah, Penn State, um, you know, they're a little bit like Michigan, I think, uh, in that – you know, at home, they're really, really tough to beat. Uh, at home at night, they're almost impossible to beat. Um, and then when you get them on the road, it can be a challenge. So um, some younger talent on that team that's still growing a little bit. But, you know, that's kind of been Penn State's bag, you know, under James Franklin. I think his, his you know, everybody talks about Jim Harbaugh's road record against ranked teams being poor. Uh, Franklin's is equally bad. Right. I mean, it's, uh, they had their win against Iowa earlier this year, which was the first one he's ever had. And this would be another loss on the road against a ranked team. So uh, that's another another task that Penn State uh, is still trying to uh, to solve. In other action around the Big Ten, Ohio State just you know, lit up Maryland, and they've got Rutgers coming up next, which uh, should be pretty much the same. Uh, and either they just haven't played anyone yet, or they are just that good. What does the eye test tell you so far when you've seen them play, Nick? It, it's crazy. I mean, I, I don't remember... Um, seeing a situation where, and I know Ryan Day was so involved with everything they were doing offensively last year, and maybe more so than I probably realized, I think, you know, for all, all of us looking on the outside. I can't think of a time where uh, you got a new coach, a new quarterback, and the offense just doesn't miss a beat. I mean, it is it is crushing. I mean, it's, uh, you know, they are darn near impossible to defend. I don't know how you're supposed to do it, you know, unless you have just elite athletes all over the field because there's so many things they can do. Uh, they're confident in everything they do. They're very well prepared. I think that uh, of all the things, Mike, I think that's what stands out to me the most. They are obviously the most talented team in the Big Ten, right? They're mm-hmm. one of the most talented teams in the country. They've recruited that way. But they are so locked in to play football with everything they do 
every single week. And I, you know, I, I was at uh, Michigan State, Ohio State earlier this season. They had a relatively rough first quarter for their standard, and then in a, you know, blink of an eye, turned on and had like 300 yards in the second quarter, and I mean just annihilated whoever was in front of them for 15 minutes and then just kept the foot on the gas. I mean, they have an ability to really zero in and focus and everybody does their job and people don't make stupid mistakes. And that's how you score 73 points, right? I mean, that's how you mm-hmm. score like that. Even It doesn't matter who you're playing. I mean, if you're playing Rutgers or Maryland or whatever, I mean, you still have to be on your game all the way through. And I think what they have there is they have the first unit does its job, the second unit does its job, and then whoever gets a chance to come in and, you know, whenever if you get five reps, you got to make the most of them. And they've got, you know, it's uh, it's a bully of a program. I mean, that's there's no question about it. Yeah, they look terrifying. I think oh, yeah. if you're looking at if you're somebody else looking at them, terrifying. I mean, you have to play your best game against them, obviously, and then you're going to have to hope that you know they screw some things up, frankly. Uh, and uh, so far, that hasn't happened. No, it hasn't. And, and the offense has just been unbelievable. It's very scary to watch. There's no question. But I think what really grinds Michigan fans is that defense is playing at more than an elite level to complement the offense, and Greg Madison yeah. is the uh, co-defensive coordinator, which really bugs Michigan fans, I know. Right, yeah. Um, you know, I get that part of it. Um, I also would would add in there uh, what was Greg Ciano doing, because this defense is pretty much the same guys that was on last year's defense that couldn't stop a cold. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's interesting, though, right, because I, I understand why it grinds Michigan fans up for sure, but... Um, in a lot of ways, Greg Madison did that for Michigan when he came and, and sort of saved the wreckage of Rich Rodriguez's defense. You know, I mean, he's very good, even at even at uh, 70 or however old he is now, he's very good at steadying some chaos and just getting getting players to play, you know, to their talent level. That's Greg Madison. To me, that's Greg Madison's, like, signature ability is mm-hmm. to clear – clear the mind and, and get guys to play at their skill level. And Ohio State's skill level on defense is just ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, so it's like, that's all it took, really. I mean, it was him, and they've got the other guy, and they the younger guy. Uh, I can't think of his name now, but an interesting situation for sure. Uh, and one that, uh, you know, yeah, they're the number two team in the country now, I think. Uh, you know, that's that's pretty undisputed at this point, I would, I would imagine. Well, the big game on Saturday, of course, was the uh, the LSU-Alabama game down in Tuscaloosa. Really the best game I've seen so far this year. Those two teams, uh, Alabama and LSU, are playing at a level, I think, above everyone else except Ohio State. Yeah. Yeah, it's those three. You know, I was talking to somebody over the weekend about what do you do with the playoff here, and um, do you leave Alabama out? And, you know, Tua, Tua had 400, or like 405 yards and or four touchdowns and he I think he had ankle surgery like a yeah. month ago I mean that's you know that's <laughs> saying something and then uh so you know obviously Alabama's still completely bloated um and LSU I mean you know the job that uh everyone there has done from Ed run on down uh Joe Burrow has been you know sort of a, I mean uh, you know amazing I don't think anyone saw this coming from him but it really goes to show you know, LSU's always had talent, and they and they certainly do offensively right now. They I, I recognize, I look at the roster, and I see guys like Jamar Chase. And I remember Jamar Chase as a recruit, you know, a top-end guy that everybody wanted, and then he went to LSU, and you didn't hear from him for a second, and now he's exploding. And you, you see all these guys put in position to succeed, and the quarterback really coming into his own. They've got a really really unique situation there with, uh, with Joe Brady, 
isn't their offensive coordinator. I think uh, Steve Ensinger, I think is his name. Mm-hmm. He's the mm-hmm. offensive coordinator, and Brady is the passing game. I mean, they, they have a really unique setup. It works for them, and it's the best example this season probably of, you know, coaching staff and roster sort of, you know, blending together and um, maximizing everything. And, uh, you know, what a great win. I mean, how, you know, how many times has Alabama lost? in Tuscaloosa in the last 10 years, oh, like exactly. what, two or three? Yeah, that's it. That's you it. know I mean? Three years, yeah. <laughs> it's just crazy. And so, you know, I mean, LSU's jacked up. And I think it's interesting because I saw, like, maybe three weeks ago, maybe a month ago, LSU got a commitment from a, like, top five or six player, I think it was a tight end, who was yeah. supposed to go to Alabama and decided to go to LSU. So, hey, that's interesting. And maybe maybe some things will shift. You know, we'll see. We'll see how it plays out. But a uh, big win for the Tigers, for yeah, sure. Yeah, it was a great game to watch. The thing that I was thinking about, though, Nick, watching that game is from the get-go, Tua just looked like he was very gingerly moving uh, mm-hmm. on that ankle. And he had surgery a couple of weeks ago, and so he obviously yeah. was cleared to play. But by late in that game and then after the game, he looked like he could hardly walk. It's been going on for a while now. I remember that last year they had uh... – some situations where he looked like he could barely move and then now obviously he's had the surgery and he's still out there trying to do it and um you know that's that's going to be an interesting situation going forward mm-hmm. you know to see you know how healthy he is or isn't and you know at what time i mean you know that we're talking about possibly the number one pick in the draft here you know i mean what at what point in time does he say maybe all right you know i've given you all i can give you with us here on our game day segment is nick baumgartner from the athletic detroit so nick let's talk about our two local teams and of course we know what's happening on saturday yep. but i guess my question is uh, right now just like everyone else that lives in this state is what in the heck is going on in east lansing uh yeah i mean it's 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 an inter- it's interesting but it's not at some point <laughs> it's, it's, the, it's the most obvious thing ever i mean you know michigan state went through the offseason it's a very stubborn deal here you know uh, they went through the offseason um last year of course we all know the situation michigan state's the offense was terrible uh sort of rudderless not creative not very good um and the defense was outstanding and you go into this year and they made some, some minor tweaks but not really much of anything else and expected it to change and it didn't because of course it didn't so i mean so that's where they are now, and it's it's a similar deal. The offense, in some ways, has improved, but I think we've seen overall that, you know, for what they want to do offensively, they don't really have enough skill on the roster to be explosive enough to have an offense that can run and operate the way they want to in terms of, you know, they want to run the football. They want to run it consistently against good teams. They don't have much in terms of, you know, Cody White's a nice player, Daryl Stewart, who's banged up is a good player, but they're veterans. They don't have a ton in the, in the reserves there in terms of explosive athletes, you know, Brian Lewerke can be up and down. So it's really a, mm-hmm. a flawed roster. Um, that hasn't been very, you know, recruiting has been tough for Michigan state over the last couple of years. We'll say that they've had off the field issues. Uh, they've had off the field distractions. They've had, you know, Joe Bocci, of course, the, the captain, senior captain linebacker failing, a PED test um, in the middle of the season. You've had six players transfer. Mark D'Antonio has continued to be, you know, named anyway in this Curtis Blackwell lawsuit. Then he's going to have to be deposed in that after the season. I mean, it's just been a mountain of things that had nothing to do with football that are standing there. And on top of that, you know, the football's been bad. So there's been a lot of issues across the board. Um, they need fresh air. They need fresh air. That's the best I could. 
I don't know what that looks like or what that means, but they have got to get something different mm-hmm. um, in the soup because, you know, the, 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 the idea, I think, for Mark Antonio is that we've won here before doing, it, doing this exactly the way that I want it to be done, and I'm not going to deviate from that. I'm going to continue. But at some point, you do have to adapt. And, um, you know, I, I would argue that he would, he would probably tell you that they probably did adapt at, at some point along the way when they were able to have their success. And um, there's not enough of, not enough of that going on right now. This roster, you know, at the end of the year, they, they, they've got a lot of seniors on this team, guys that are sort of snake bitten right now. They've got a couple games left. Those guys are going to be gone at the end of the year. Michigan State's looking at, in my, in my eyes, they're looking at a rebuild, not a reload. And so you're going to ask the question of, does Mark D'Antonio want to do that? You know, their Michigan State's athletic director, Bill Deacon, has said, I think he told the State Journal, on Friday that firing D'Antonio isn't even a discussion. So if you want, if he's still here or there, um, you know, what's it look like around him? And uh, I think that's maybe the biggest question right now. But, you know, they still have uh, three to play, and they're not bowl eligible. So that's also a question because, you know, look, all the other stuff aside, Michigan State won the Big Ten Championship in 2015. I believe that was the third for mm-hmm. Mark D'Antonio, which is, a, which is a crazy number. I don't think anybody thought when he took the job in 2007 that he was going to win three Big Ten titles. He did. He took him to heights that most people thought were impossible. Uh, he did all that. But since then, they're 15 and 18 in the Big Ten in over four years. So, objectively, you look at those four years and you say that's not that's not good enough. Michigan State can do better than that. And um, somebody's got to figure that out. And last week was, I would think, they would call that rock bottom, or they would hope <laughs> that would be rock bottom, blowing that 25-point lead against Illinois. So, oh, yeah. doesn't get any easier, of course, but um, – and Michigan State's always found a way to play up in the Michigan game, as we know. But, boy, I wonder. You know, I wonder right now, you know, how much is in the tank because that's a pretty exhausted football program right now uh, overall from top to bottom. Michigan's had the bye week, improvement week, as Jim yep. Harbaugh likes to call it. This team is as healthy as they've been since uh, the opening game, uh, Nick, and uh, really playing their best football right now, we think. Yeah, I would say so. Um, you know, I think that obviously the Notre Dame game was the best we've seen them. Uh, the Maryland game was pretty ho-hum, but it was more or less clean. Uh, they didn't have to do anything crazy. I don't think the offense is still operational, fully operational to a point where they want it yet. But, um, you know, I think we're starting to see situations where, you know, we've talked about Josh Gaddis refocusing the offense on some of the concepts they do really well, uh, some of the concepts they, they, they kind of exceed at. They did that, you know, after the Wisconsin game sort of rebuilt their base and then you're starting now you're now we're starting to see some of the stuff that uh maybe they put away earlier in the year they're bringing that back out so i think we're starting to see some wrinkles that we saw maybe early in the season that they weren't quite ready to rep yet uh resurfacing a bit so you know for whatever reason uh for probably a number of reasons the offense obviously didn't start out the way it wanted to and had to sort of recenter itself you know i don't think that the notion that Jim Harbaugh has just taken the offense away from Josh. That's not true. Um, I don't think that's happening. I don't think that somebody's told Josh Gaddis you're going to have to run something else. I don't think that's happening. I think they're still running a lot of the same stuff they were trying to run earlier in the year, but they've found their foundation to work off of, so they found the few things in there that they know they really have kind of mastered and are now having the ability to expand on that. So I thought last week, um, or two weeks ago, I should say, 
against Maryland, it wasn't explosive necessarily, but I thought Josh Gaddis called a pretty good game. I thought that uh, I was really impressed. In the latter half of the game, that touchdown to uh, to Nick Eubanks was, you know, it was it was a two or three yard touchdown pass. But I thought that that play call and the execution on that play call in that moment was about as good as we've seen in a situation like that, regardless of opponent. It was a you know a really good read from Shea Patterson, a really well executed. Uh, play overall, and then a great call by Gaddis in the moment to get a short yardage touchdown. That was a really good deal. And then, you know, they, they set that up with similar action and got an easy one with Hassan Haskins later in the game. So, you know, people, I suppose, probably thought, you know, what is speed and space? What's that supposed to mean? And I think they probably ex- assumed that meant four receivers on the field, you know, pressing vertically, running all over the place. And in reality, speed and space is, is a run game. It's a, it's a run-based offense that's still working to get athletes in space one-on-one and it is and you, as you can see in those two instances a tight end and a running back you know I mean not guys yeah. that are running four threes but still you know guys who are able to get in space and score touchdowns and I think that uh obviously that's the idea and um you know we'll see if they can continue to uh you know sort of tick upward here well Shea Patterson's taken a lot of stuff uh from Michigan fans this year and a lot of it I think unfairly and I think it goes back to the mm-hmm. fact that he might not be the five-star NFL guy that a yeah. lot of people thought a couple of years ago. So those expectations yeah. have weighted him down somewhat. But I think what he's showing us right now, at least, he is a gamer, Nick, and he's really providing good leadership, and his reads are getting better and better, I think. Yeah, yeah, I agree with everything you said there. I think you nailed it. I mean, uh, I think that uh, the notion that he is a you know, top-end NFL draft pick or something that maybe people wondered about when he signed as a five-star worker. That's obviously not going to happen, and uh, that just wasn't – isn't who he is. And sometimes when kids get those expectations put on them, we yeah. see them lean into it, of course, as their kids, but, I mean, sometimes they're still unfair. And, um, you know, I do think he was working against that from day one, but I think he was also working against that from the minute he got here because I can remember, you know, last winter – telling people like or I guess it was yeah the winter of 2018 just saying to anybody who would listen like you guys have got to calm down on this this is not you know this is not you know I uh, is he going to throw for 4,000 yards is he going to do all this <laughs> <It's> <laughs> yeah. not, it doesn't seem yeah. realistic to me I gotta tell you you know so but yeah I think that um you know given everything started over again uh, I was a little surprised uh that the reads were such a struggle early in the season but then again he was also hurt yeah so that didn't help but no I think you're right I think the He's settled in with those. He's more confident in what they're what they're asking him to do. Uh, like anybody else on the team, I think he's he's developed a few you know base areas to work from and understands mm-hmm. kind of what they're asking him to do. And then yeah, I think it's it's funny uh, we were covering the Maryland game and and uh, Austin Meek and I were talking and I, Austin said something. He was joking. He's like, I think Shane needs a hundred and hundred ten thousand people to really get uh, really get the best out of him, right? So I think he's a big gamer. <laughs> He seems like a big game type guy. Like that's kind of his thing where it seems like for the most part, we've gotten some of the best we've seen of Shea Patterson in some of those bigger games. Uh, Michigan state last year, he made some nice plays Penn state last year, Penn state this year, uh, Wisconsin this year being a, being an exception there, of course, but you know, we'll see how that, uh, how that trends going into this week. But obviously from what we've gotten to know of Shea over the last couple of years, when it's a big game as it is Saturday, Typically, he's ready to go. He doesn't. He doesn't really shy away from those moments, um, good and bad. I think he's he enters them willing to take the risks necessary to win games like that. And um, you know, so long as he's taking care of the football, because obviously that's been number one 
on the list. If he's taking care of the ball, you know, I think he right. can be pretty effective for what they want to do. Well, over on the other side of the ball, Don Brown and defense, we remember what happened in Madison. We saw it. But, you know, I have to say, I think this defense has played really well this season, Nick. They've, you know, we had some concerns with that front really much better than I thought it was going to be. What's your take on this defense and where they are right now? I think they've done a nice job. I think Don Brown's done a nice job of mixing up some things, changing some things, and going against his own personal uh, type or trend or whatever you want to call it. Um, a lot more zone this year, a lot more versatility from personnel this year, a lot more, you know, just variants of, of what they do. They've run a lot of the three, three stack, um, stuff, you know, with Josh Uche being kind of the Swiss army player that uh, a lot of us thought he, he could be, you know, when the season started, you know, we finally saw the, the four defensive ends out there together last week, especially or two weeks ago, especially against Maryland with, uh, Aiden Hutchinson moving inside with Michael Dana, and then could he pay an Uche in passing down situation? I mean, that's that's a that's a pretty ferocious pass rush uh, unit you've got there. And then I think that uh, you know the the evolution or the uh, emergence, I should say, of Cameron McGrone has maybe saved the whole the whole thing here uh, because Josh Ross getting hurt that early, and you know Michigan struggling as much as it did. Um, you got to remember they're going after after the Wisconsin game, and they're standing there saying. You know, well, now we got to play, you know, a first-year starter in the middle. And, you know, Cameron McGrone hasn't looked back. I mean, he's looked outstanding. So, really, I think across the board, I think a really good job of, of uh, sort of retooling on the fly and, and adjusting uh, by Don Brown. I think, you know, people, we hear about it all the time. Why is he why is he always in man coverage? Why is he always in man coverage? Why on third and long is he always in man coverage? Well, I mean, if you go look at the tape this year, he's not. No. Sometimes he is. Sometimes he is. But a lot of the times, they're not. They, uh They'll drop out into, you know, a multitude of different zone looks uh, from many areas. And uh, I think that has given – I know it gave Notre Dame problems. Notre Dame didn't know what the hell it was looking at because he – I mean, there was many times where they drop out into zone on third and long or third and medium, and Notre Dame's trying to run the crossing route stuff that has gotten Michigan before, and you can't do it against the zone. So um, those are positive signs. Uh, obviously, I know everyone will sit there and say – not everyone, but a lot of people will say, I don't care. What are you going to do against Ohio State? And maybe that's fair, but at the same time, I think you can't discount the fact that uh, Don Brown did some self-scouting and uh, has adjusted a little bit. And, and, and while keeping maybe true to his his whole mantra of they still bring a lot of pressure, they still got to the quarterback, and they're still very aggressive. So, you know, it's been interesting and unique and kind of different, and the results so far uh, other than the Wisconsin game are – about what they've been, you know, pretty good, pretty good overall. Looking ahead to this Saturday, uh, Michigan State put up over 500 yards of offense, which is mind-boggling uh, on Saturday. Yeah. Still got beat, so yeah, we've talked about it earlier. They have their issues, but do you think they can still make things happen against this Michigan defense? No, uh, it's going to be really tough. Um, the the brightest spot I thought um, on Saturday for Michigan State. And before the thing got off the rails, what I thought about writing about was they did actually get some younger players. Some of J.D. Duplain and Nick Samak are two interior offensive linemen who are freshmen who started. And I thought held up pretty well against – I mean, Illinois is not very good. But I would assume those guys will be in there again. They're, they're better than anything else I've seen in there. So I would assume they'll be in there again. That's not great uh, if you're Michigan State. I mean, they're freshmen. They look, they look like they're going to be good players, but they're still freshmen, and that's something where – 
that could be cause for concern uh, against the Don Brown defense. Daryl Stewart's hurt. He didn't play last week. Uh, he's their best receiver, obviously. He can be, you know, a difference maker and a guy who can make tough catches in traffic mm-hmm. and things like that. I mean, if he can't play, that's tough. Uh, Cody White obviously is playing, uh, but is only one guy. And Brian Lewerke kind of continues to be up and down, I mean, with the turnovers. And, I mean, shoot, he took a shot to the head, Mike, at the end of the game. Yeah. I don't know if, if that's something that's going to – I mean, we, we haven't talked to D'Antonio since. I don't know if that's something that's going to linger. So, um, Lewerke said he was fine after the game. But, you know, I mean, we know how this things go, those brain injuries. It's not for the player to, to decide that he's going to play. So, that would be something to look at as well. I, it's going to be really tough. I mean, the brightest spots that Michigan State has – uh, offensively, the brightest one is Elijah Collins, the retro freshman running back. But he really hasn't had room to do anything uh, against anybody but, you know, sort of the weaker end teams of the Big Ten. And, uh, you know, of all the things we've talked about with Michigan's defense, some of the stuff and the issues they've had, stopping the run really hasn't been an issue for Michigan's defense this year. They've, they've sort of still been what we've seen from them, you know, for the most part. Um, I would think it would be very tough. Michigan State to run the move the ball consistently. I think they could probably put together a better showing. I would expect certainly a better showing offensively than what we saw last year, uh, because last year not with 94 yards. I think it would be right. better than that. <laughs> um, but the problem with Michigan State has been, you know, they've been able to move the ball through the 20s, and then when they get in the red zone, everything magnifies because they don't have the type of athletes or enough of them anyway that can make the one-on-one wins they don't have a great offensive line their run game is not where they where it should be for a team that wants to run the ball like this and every time they get not even the red zone every time they get inside the 40 it really starts to stall because when the field shrinks and you don't have as much you know to work with uh you just don't have enough guys who can be able to make big plays and so that's kind of where i'm at with it i think that i I wouldn't be shocked if they can move it through the 20 some and you know and then we'll see but uh it's going to be really tough. I think that'd be it'd be a tall order. I think they're absolutely going to need this game to be played, you know, in the teens or, or you know, because I'm not sure if they're getting to 20, you know, maybe, but it would have to be low, low, you know, low scoring game, of course, um, which really isn't that different from every other year these two teams have played. So, uh, you know, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, you're right. I think it does have to be low scoring, and that means the Spartan defense has to uh, to come to play. And we we know they're very good. They're very talented. And, but they seem to be wearing out and watching them the last couple yeah. of weeks. Uh, that, to me, is the key matchup on Saturday, Nick. How, what can they do uh, to frustrate or stop this Michigan offense? Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, that's what I've been wondering for six weeks is just, like, when when is the gas tank going to dry out here? Yeah. Because you can only, as a defense, I mean, and they have good players. Even without Joe Bocci, I mean, they have good players. I mean, Raquan Williams is outstanding. <clears throat> Kenny Willekes is very good, of course, as we know. Um you know, Josiah Scott hasn't been all the way himself, and even he got dinged up in the last game. But, I mean, he still can be, you know, a top-end player. Antoine Simmons has played really well. They've, Mike Panashuk and Jacob Panashuk are, are really good players up front. Um, they have players, but when you're constantly being hung out to dry by an offense, and this was the case for, you know, the better part of this season, mm-hmm. when you're constantly being hung out to dry by that, I, I just often wondered, you know, when does the breaking point pop in and when does that just become so frustrating that you can't come, you know, can't, you can't overcome it. And of course, last week we saw a situation where you get a 28 nothing lead and you can't even hang on to that against a 
terrible Illinois team. They're 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 really sort of emotionally unstable right now. Yeah. I feel like as a football team, uh, I think Joe Bocci not being there probably has a lot to do with that. I think the the losing has a lot to do with that. I don't think guys are very confident in themselves uh, overall. This is I mean I I've seen this movie before. <laughs> I've seen Michigan. I mean, Michigan with Brady Oak at the end of Brady. Oak, that's what it looks like to me. It looks like a team that has guys that are talented that aren't playing to their talent level because they're just trying way too hard, and everything is is quicksand. I mean, yeah. you saw we saw that game. They start out twenty-eight nothing, and they're fired up, and then all of a sudden, everyone just falls asleep. And it's just like, what yeah. happened here? You yeah. know? And, oh yeah. And suddenly they don't. And you know, now it's time to get out of it, and they can't get out of it. And uh, you know, that's what it feels like to me. And I just wonder how much they have left in the tank mentally um, to kind of get through this because, you know, we're, we're, you know, it's been, it's been a challenge and, and this isn't a situation where, and I see this a lot with teams and, friend, and programs everywhere where they say, well, we've won here before. Let's just do what we did before. And then you look at the roster and say, well, this roster has never has won anything. So I don't know what you expect them to do because they've really never won anything. So I'm not sure what they're supposed to, you can show them tape of something someone did seven years ago, but they weren't there. And that starts to become a problem. We've seen it. We've seen it with Michigan through the years yeah, with, yeah. With, with the Hoke years and, and things like that, where it was like, well, this is what Michigan does. And you're like, well, you're telling that to guys who weren't here and they're going to have to find their own way. And I think right now you've seen that with Michigan state's the bulk of the roster is that guys are trying to have to find their own way here. And they're just, they're kind of swimming upstream and it's been, it's been tough. So, um, yeah, it does. I mean, they're a double-digit underdog, and uh, that's what it feels like it should be in tall order. But uh, you know, Mark D'Antonio has made made some moves in this game before, but uh, this one seems as uphill a climb as probably any he's had. Probably right up there with the 16 game, where they ended up making that maybe closer than people thought it would be at the end. But I think if you remember how that game went, it was pretty much done <laughs> in the start of the fourth quarter. So that's what this feels like to me. This feels like a lot like that game. Michigan's obviously not as good as that as 16 team was, and Michigan State's probably not as bad as its 16 team was, but mentally right now, both teams kind of see, seem to be in the same spot. Final thought and question on the game coming up then, Nick. And, you know, I've been around watching this rivalry for a long time. Yeah. And I've seen it not go to script way too many times for both sides. And, you know, I, I know it's trivial when you say throw out the records. A lot of people still laugh yeah. about it. But in my experience... <clears throat> uh, that has been the case. I mean, and it's Michigan State Super Bowl. Let's never forget that. They're going to bring it. Yeah. Do you have any reason not to think that this is this is going to be a war on Saturday? Yeah, I've heard a lot of people tell me I think this is going to be a blowout or if Harbaugh gets a chance, he's going to run up the score. And I, I mean, we all thought that in 2016 and it yeah. didn't happen. And that was the day I left there and said, I'm never going to pick, <laughs> <I'm never> gonna <laughs> right. pick a blowout in this game again <laughs> uh, because it was one of those things where it would, it's going to take – it would take a lot – even at the current situation, with all the junk going on and all the all the bad vibes, it would take, I feel like, a lot for a Mark D'Antonio team to lay down uh, and let, you know, Michigan, of all people, run them out of a building. It would take an awful lot for oh, that yeah. to happen, and I don't, I don't see that happening. I, I mean, I think that it's for you, for somebody to, for, for a team to get blown out like that. At some point, the opposition has to just be playing against air. Or the other team has kind of given up and seeded and, and oh, okay, you can have it. I don't see that happening uh, in, in no. much. I mean, maybe in the, in the fourth quarter or something, you could, if you're able to get one on them and, 
and keep them down. But I, I would fully expect Michigan to have to come into that stadium ready to play the full 60 there because, you know, even if, you know, shoot, even if it's something where you've got them down by a touchdown or 10 for most of the game, it would still be, you know, okay, one or two plays and they're back in this thing. Like last year, last year was a lot like that. Um, and so that, that to me is what I would expect. And I'm sure knowing Jim Harbaugh uh, and Michigan's program, that's fully what they expect too, um, you know, because I think the line was 12 and a half, but a lot of people said, right. I think that's too low. And I said, well, that seems about right to me because I just don't see this. Yeah. I, I I would have a hard time seeing it. that would be yeah. that would be a new one on the Mark Antonio <laughs> ledger of what's going on here if they got run out of a building against Michigan because that would maybe signify something that really isn't recoverable and uh, you know maybe that's the last part of, of what we'll see here but yeah I, I would expect this to be a fight for a while I don't I don't say I would I'm not expecting Michigan State to win the game but I, I certainly would expect them to give them a fight well we shall see noon on Saturday at the big house it is uh, such a a rivalry that I, yeah, I don't see any way that this gets to be a blowout so it's gonna be interesting to see it a lot on the line for both teams uh, so as always our guest here on the show today has been Nick Baumgartner from the athletic Detroit Nick Always a pleasure having you join us, and uh, we thank you for your time and look forward to your next visit. Absolutely, Mike. Anytime. Quick Hits is next as we wrap it up for another week here on The Michigan Man on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze & Brew. On Quick Hits today, at Jim's presser on Monday, he said Michigan will not be lulled to sleep this weekend. He said he respects Mark D'Antonio and his program and knows they will be prepared. Just what you would expect him to say. From an injury perspective, we are as healthy as we have been all year. I guess the big news out of the presser is that Chris Evans will be reinstated and back with the team next year. There weren't a lot of details about his situation, but apparently he has done what he's needed to do and earned the chance to rejoin the team, so I say good for him. On Thursday's Visitor's Edition, we'll be joined by Graham Couch from the Lansing State Journal. We'll have some game day facts regarding this great rivalry and the weather forecast for the 12 noon kickoff. I don't think the snow will be gone by then, but hopefully uh, we don't get any during the game on Saturday. Thanks again to Nick Baumgartner for being our guest today. That will do it for this week's Game Day Edition. Make sure you join us on Thursday for our chat with Graham Couch from the Lansing State Journal. Until then, have a great Wolverine week, everyone. I'm your host, Mike Fitzpatrick. Until we meet again, take care, and as always, go blue. Thanks for joining us today on The Michigan Man here on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze & Brew. Our listener lines are open 24-7 for your calls at 313-263-4842. That's 313-263-4842. Or email us at themichiganmanpodcast at yahoo.com. 
That's the Michigan Man Podcast at yahoo.com. The Michigan Man Podcast is produced at the studios of Robin Lynn Productions, Allen Park, Michigan, and is not affiliated with the University of Michigan. Go Blue!